Welcome to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. You are listening to Real Faith on Faith FM Radio. We are super excited to have you guys here with us. How are you today? Doing well, Robbie. How well, are you today? Oh, I'm doing fantastic because... That was the drum roll for those of Woo. you that are listening. Um, today, after the radio finishes, I am heading off on a road trip and going north to... Lismore, for oh. those that know where that is. So up, up like an hour south of the Queensland, New South Wales border, not too far. In not too far from Bellina, if you know where Bellina is. Yeah. Yeah. Not far from the big prawn. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a question for you. I'm okay. excited because of that. But here's a question for you. Do you like road trips? I love road trips. Ooh, it is one question. of my. I even have rules about road trips. Oh, well. tell us some of your rules. Ooh. What are the rules? Oh, I love this. I love road trips because I like to get to where I'm going very quickly. So I have rules about you can't have too much sugar. You can't have too much salt. You need the right snacks because you can't go to the toilet too often. So. <laughs> Yes, I have the perfect snacks for road tripping. Oh, tell me, enlighten us. Like, we is, all want to be able to road trip more efficiently when necessary. It is the humble carrot. What? Yes. The humble carrot. The humble carrot. At least is, there's better carotene in there, and that's really yeah, good it's for carotene, your health. And it's actually good for your health. It's crunchy, it's juicy, so you don't need anything to drink, and something to do I'd with like just to dis- chewing disagree on with something. That last point. I'm still going to need something to drink on the road. But not as much if, <laughs> if you're, you're eating like salt and vinegar chips or something. What about lettuce? Lettuce has lots of moisture in there. But the it's not tasty. Well, that's and arguable. Get through. <laughs> that's debatable. Lettuce. I like lettuce. A head of lettuce. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not tasty. That's the thing. You want the. You, we want to hear from you, Paul. What do you prefer to eat raw, lettuce or carrots? That's what carrots. I want. No, not you. I'm oh. asking our listeners. I want. I want to hear from you guys. So please text in at zero four nine one zero six four double six nine whether you prefer to eat raw lettuce or raw carrots. Okay. So what other rules do you but, have? Hang on, Robbie. You can't cook lettuce. What do you mean you can't cook it? You can't cook lettuce. Uh, yes because you once you cook it, it wilts and it takes all... It that's what cooking lettuce looks like. <laughs> it's, it's, that's the exact thing we're talking about. You okay, just... text three carrot. <laughs> <laughs> if she's biased. You can text whatever you like. It's a very good snack and you can cook it. Okay, so that's yeah. good. I love it. I love it. So yeah. so you have... Is there any? Are there any other rules? Basically, your rule is don't pee and eat and drink things that will not make you pee. I yes. got it. What else do you have? Any other rules? Um, the other rule is always have a... A stop. So you have you have to plan each stop that you have on your road trip. You plan them all. Yes. Wow, you're super organized. I just I like I like road trips usually when I have a lot of time and I can take my time and see different beaches and do different fun activities. <laughs> well, I, I want to be efficient and include as many as I can on oh, the way. Well, that's good. Yeah. Well, that's not what we're talking about today, but we've got a great show lined up for you. We're going to hear from our good friend Shelly, and we're going to be doing a one-off study today on the book of Jude, which is a tiny one-page little book just mm. before Revelation, so you won't want to miss it. Stick around. This is The Lower Lights, The Seeker. I am seeker, you are keeper, you are leader, won't you show me the way? Shall lead me, God. 
welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. You're listening to Faith FM Radio. And uh, just before we get into our next segment, I wanted to do a plug for our question of the week, which is an opportunity for you to send in questions that you have about God, the Bible, today's Bible study, questions from last week, or any other question that you've got. And we uh, have a look at those questions at you at the end of the show. And uh, today, our first caller in is going to get a free copy of a book called Christ's Object Lessons. And Tash, what's that about? So Christ's Object Lessons is talks about some of the parables that Jesus did or Jesus told uh, while he was here on earth and it's um yeah so it's a, a compilation of those stories and those parables and it's very interesting and um, yeah like Christ Object Lessons is the book that we're giving away today awesome so if you'd like to be a recipient of the free copy of that you can call or text in by calling us on 1-800-324-843 that's 1-800-FAITH-FM or you can text us on 491 Awesome. So, Tash, it's that time of the day where we're going to talk about the weird and wonderful world that God has made. And what do you have for us today? Well, the weird and wonderful world of Tash. That's what it always is. <laughs> but what we're sharing is um, the other night I went for a swim. It was uh, it's still uh, not full moon anymore. Oh, but no it way. Was, it was full moon. And uh, it was a really hot night. And a friend of a friend and I went to um, Newcastle Bars. It was quite late because it's the only place you can swim at night safely. I'm glad you added safely because I literally went swimming at the beach last night oh, did you? at nine o'clock by myself. Oh, wow. There were no baths. There's no... no. <laughs> can you see the waves? Can you see... I didn't have my glasses on. I couldn't see much. Let's be you, real. You just went to the But I'm a strong be- swimmer. Okay. <laughs> I'm, by the way, I'm not condoning this. I'm just saying I'm not it condoning it either. <laughs> I just... It's dark and be safe, people, if you are going to go for a swim yeah. late at night. Yeah. Um, if you're a strong swimmer, okay, but I'm not really a strong swimmer. I can float and paddle. And so we thought, no, nah, let's go to Newcastle Bars, even though I live um, in Kurumbong, which is about halfway towards um, Central Coast. So it's like 40 minutes. About 40 minutes or so. And we drove, yeah, so we drove all the way up and um, uh, we, my friend and I, we didn't have much time to um, get clothes, so we grabbed towels, jumped in the car, and drove all the way to Newcastle Baths. So while we were there, um, my friend said to me, "Did you? Are you going to swim in what you're wearing?" I went, "I guess." <laughs> <laughs> and um, she said, "Okay, I guess too." And we don't really wear we don't really wear swimmers. Um, so maybe you swam in your clothes. We just swam. We took some clothes off, and we, we were wearing. Undergarments, we'll call it. Yeah. And if in the dark, it looks like swimmers. So yeah, we were swimming in in our undergarments. And um, she said to me, "Do you think this is okay that we're swimming in undergarments?" I think it's fine. It should be okay, <laughs> shouldn't it? Um, I've so, been to the beach lately. I think that perhaps that might have been more modest than some of the things that are worn at the beach. To be fair, yeah, that's the and yeah, but anyway. And, but it got our it got a conversation starting about. What do we call them? She said, she said, swimmers. And I said, oh, I'm from Victoria, so we call them bathers. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, apparently over in WA, did they call them cozies? Cozies. Whoa. Yeah. I'm from America. We call them swimsuits. Swimsuits. Yeah. So I've got a question for you, Robert. Or a bathing suit. We say that as well. All over or the states, dude, do they call trunks? them trunks? So oh, yeah. trunks Swim for trunks a for a dude. And then bathing suit for bathing suit for a chick for a girl. And okay, but that's generally all over the states, right? That's yeah. Well, it's, I think so. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. But I find it interesting that in Australia, some people call them togs. Yeah, they even call it togs. So these are the four names I have. I've got cozy swimmers, bathers, and togs. And all while we're still in Australia. Oh, so and depending boys. on and boardies yep. and 
Yes, if you and can speedos a, and speedos, budgie smugglers, budgie smugglers. There's all sorts of varieties, I guess. These would be like subcategories. Would These would be subcategories. <laughs> yeah, but I think definitely here in New like South two Wales, piece, one piece. swimmers, two piece, one piece. Those would be subcategories, I reckon. I think there's no piece as well. No, uh, just, maybe not. That's maybe inappropriate. Not. Yeah, <laughs> that could be inappropriate. <laughs> but there's also like, okay, what other things in Australia do we have different names for? But uh, the, or the same thing. So that's for bathing suit. We have four different ways of saying it. And the other thing I wanted to say was potato cakes. Do you know what a potato cake is? What in the world is a potato cake? Is that like hash browns? No, it's like a potato scallop. Oh, that's what they call them here in New South Wales. But everywhere else they call them. Oh, I've got one cakes. for you. Yeah, I've got one for you. What do they call? Oh, maybe I don't remember the other name for it. There's a name for kebabs that they use in South Australia. And it's oh gyros, yeah that. Okay, <laughs> so if you're in Victoria, I keep saying Victoria, but it, you've got if you go to a kebab shop, you get a kebab. If you go to a souvlaki shop, you get a souvlaki. What is a souvlaki? Souvlaki is made usually made by a Greek. I apologize to everyone whose language a I just kebab pictured. is usually uh, <laughs> Lebanese, Turkish, or anything in in that that region. Isn't it interesting that we have different names for lots of different things yeah. that are the same thing? Yeah, and I just find it's it's always interesting because it's all in in English, but means very different things. Mm. Yeah, mm. and gyro in mm. in South Australia, but the gyro explains uh, what the meat is sitting on. So it, it's on a gyro and it turns. Oh so wow! They that's explaining the actual thing itself. Yeah, that's interesting. Ah, super strange. Yeah, there you go. So you can be anywhere in Australia and <laughs> say the right thing, but it means the wrong thing. Now here's a cool thought that just came to my mind. One thing that's really great is that in heaven, we're all going to speak the same language. Yes. And we're not going to have this problem anymore because mm-hmm. we're going to be able to communicate freely and clearly because the, the, the tower, the confusion that came at the Tower of Babel will be reversed and there will be no more confusion and no more lack of communication. This is All Sons and Daughters. We are waiting.
Welcome back to Real Faith. You are listening to Faith FM with Robbie and Tash. And uh, just before we get into our testimony segment, just wanted to remind you that you can call in or text in at any time with a question for our Question of the Week segment. And we'd love to hear from you. You can do so by calling 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can text us at 0491-064-669. And the first caller in today is going to get a free copy of a book called Christ's Object Lessons, which goes through many of the parables of Jesus and give some some extra insights and draw some some applications from that. So you don't want to miss it. You can be that caller. Um, we just wanted to welcome Shell. Forgive me for my uh, little faux pas there. Name will... calling earlier. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll call you Shell appropriately. So Shell, thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, before we get into your testimony, would you like to just tell us just a little bit about yourself? Um, okay, I'm originally from America. I've you. lived in Australia for 25 years, though, so this is definitely home, and I love I could it. Hear it. I can hear it when you said home. This is at home. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm married to the host of The Breakfast Show, so I think most people would know him, Lyle Southwell. We have two sons, and two grown sons, one's um, married, and we got a, a grandbaby on the way. Congratulations. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Super exciting. Very exciting. And the other is um, pastoring up in Queensland. Very cool. Yeah. You must be very proud. Very much so. Yeah. So we'd love to hear from you. Uh, yeah, I believe you're going to tell us a bit of a story about an, an unusual answer to prayer. This is correct. Oh, we'd yes. love to hear it. And it kind of involves that whole family I just told you about. <laughs> um, so uh, many years ago, we were holidaying on Fraser Island. Have you been? Yeah, you've done Fraser. Love it. Anyways, we had um, spent about a... Oh, about a week there, and Sabbath came on, and we um, had just been having just a real high spiritual experience there, you know, just our, our family worship times were, you know, so relaxed and long, and just really, really a blessed week, and um, as Sabbath came, and we thought, well, you know what, why don't we um, just do a, a drive across the island, and check out the other side, you know, um, and so we did so, and our four-wheel drive didn't like it so much. <laughs> um, on the way, on the way back, we realized that we were getting um, like little fragments in the carburetor, and so we were having to stop every every um, ten fifteen minutes and and um, clean out the carburetor, and then it turned into every five ten minutes, and then it started turning into you know you could barely barely get moving down the track, and we we're having to stop and and um, fix it up. It was getting frustrating, you know, we, we were doing prayers in between, it's not really the best way that we wanted to um, spend our Sabbath, you know, just constantly doing, working on the car, and um, and the, the more that it was happening, the the more irritated everybody was starting to get in the car, I guess, you know, um, but... Um, and then it started to rain, and it was raining hard, and we were having to stop all the time and get out of the car and 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 do this. Um, and we finally got to the point where uh, my husband opened the door to get out, and then he um, he's like, "Not, nah, not going to do it." And so we waited for a minute, and we, we we all prayed again, and it stopped raining. He got out of the car, he cleaned out the carburetor again, but. 
He said, everybody, you need to get out of the car. you got to come and jo- come come out here and see this. And we got out of the car. There was, you know, uh, trees on both sides of us, so we hadn't realized what was happening. But um, we got out, and it wasn't raining in front of us. I mean, sorry, it was raining in front of us. It was raining behind us. It was raining to the left of us, and it was raining to the right of us. But it wasn't raining on us. Oh, wow. wow. And... Um, and yeah, and so we um, cleaned out the carburetor. We got back in the car, and we drove a little bit further down the road. And we had to get out of the car and clean out the carburetor. And we ca- had to keep doing it. But it was kind of it was an answered prayer in that God told us, "Yeah, you're going to go through this. You're going to have to do this. This is just your day, unfortunately. But I am here, and I'm just letting you know." You know, and it was just a really cool experience of an answered prayer that, yeah, we didn't get the answer that we necessarily wanted. The car didn't get fixed, but he he definitely showed us that he was there and that he loved us and that he cared. And, yeah, sometimes you have to go through things that you don't want to go through. Yeah, man. Oh, that's such a such a cool story, Shell. Thank you so much for sharing. I love I love what you're saying there. Sometimes it feels like God isn't hearing us or answering our prayers because we're praying about difficulties that we're going through or that are, you know, people we care about are going through and we don't see those things happening the way we, we want to see them happening. We don't yep. see God answering the way we're expecting or hoping perhaps. But I love what you said there that there, there are times where we do have to go through difficult circumstances. And yet in the difficult circumstances, here's an example of God saying, just because it's not going the way you want doesn't mean I'm not with you in the midst of the difficulty. Amen. Yeah, exactly right. And I love that. That's such a cool point because there are times where just it, it God has other things that need to happen or perhaps there are other reasons that he's not answering it the way we would like, but yet he's always with us even in the difficult times, even when it doesn't look like there's light at the end of the tunnel. And I love that sometimes he gives us those assurances to remind us, I'm right here in the midst of the storm. Yes, and this um, song that's starting now is going to... Um, present us with more of that. So many times I've questioned certain circumstances or things I could not understand. Many times in trials, weakness blurs my vision. And my frustration gets so out of hand Yes, then I am reminded I've never been forsaken I've never had to stand the test alone As I look at all the victories The Spirit rises up in me It's through the fire my weakness is made strong Would not get heavy Or the hill would not be hard to climb He never offered victory without fighting But he said help would always come in time Just remember when you're standing In the valley of decision Show up, and he will take you through. 
myself that I would surely perish If I trust the hand of God, you'll shield the flames again He never promised that the cross would not get heavy It would not be hard to mind when you think of studying nursing practical experience a rewarding career great employment prospects when you think of nursing think of avondale college of higher education 92.7 percent of our nursing graduates were employed within four months of completing their degree with credible experience and with friends for life to apply now visit avondale.edu.au it's higher education designed for life Listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Hey everyone, this is Lyle. And this is Minnie, and you can join us every weekday morning for The Breakfast Show. Every morning we cover news that matters and study the Bible together. We also have heaps of great music and giveaways. So come and have a positively different morning with us. Every weekday from 7 to 9 on Faith FM. Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. Super excited to have you back with us. We're about to get into our Bible study session for the day, and we're going to be exploring a very small book that's probably a little bit more obscure for the average person. That's right towards the end of the New Testament. It's the last book before the last book. It's the book just before Revelation, a little book called Jude. And so we're going to be looking at that today. But just before we do, I wanted to invite you again, if you haven't heard already, we're going to have a question of the week portion at the end of the show where we get to answer your questions that you send in and we'd love to hear from you. It could be a question from today's study, from another study, from some other question you've got about God, the Bible, religion, spirituality, etc. We'd love to hear from you. You can do that by calling in at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM or texting us at 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. And the first caller in today is going to get a free copy of a book called Christ's Object Lessons, which goes through the, some of the parables of Jesus and just kind of draws out some of the some of the meanings from those things. It's a great book, highly recommend. We'd love to hear from you. And here we go. So let's start with a word of prayer, shall we? That's it. 
Awesome. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you for being with us. We ask now that your spirit would be with us and all those who are listening and that you would lead us in the truth as it is in Jesus through your scriptures. We ask that you would do this in accordance with your will. Amen. Amen. Awesome. So, the book of Jude. What can you tell us about the book of Jude, Tash? What do we know about this book? It's small. Yeah. That's a great, it's a great point. Yeah. It is. You caught me off guard with that one. In my Bible, it's only a page and a little bit. And in my Bible, it's just one page. Um, is, is this the smallest book in the Bible? It is not. It is not. But it is very small. It is very small. <laughs> and it's good. So there's there's a lot that could be said about the book of Jude. And um, before we get into anything else, this is actually, I should have announced this last week, but I forgot um, to announce it. So this is actually Tasha's last week with us on Real Faith. So big sad face very from us. Sad. Very so sad. So she's got to go and do some university studies and uh, the schedule yeah. just unfortunately doesn't work. So we're going to miss you on Radio Tash. And, um, I'm going to miss being here as well. It's been, it's been a good time. Awesome. It's been a blessing to have you. And um, so we decided since we just finished the series... I'm going to be away next week, so we're not going to be uh, able to have, we're not going to be on next week. There'll be a, a replay, I think, and the week after we'll be back for a new series, and hopefully with a new co-host, we're in the search. So um, we thought, what are we going to do today? And God put on both of our heads, let's do the book of Jude. So let's get into it. So Jude is the second last book of the New Testament. If you're following along, you can find it right towards the back. Find Revelation, turn back one page, and you'll find the book of Jude. Now, let's start with reading verse 1, and that's going to help us to figure out some of the context and who it is that's writing this letter and who they're writing to. So Jude verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. I love it. Okay. Yeah. Question. Who is writing this little letter? Jude. Jude. That's it. <laughs> Aptly named. Many of the letters are named after the people who wrote them. Yes. Now, what's interesting about this is that it says who he is. Notice how Jude describes himself. He says, I am a bondservant which means a lifelong uh, committed servant or slave, somebody who has volunteered volunteered themselves to be joined to a master forever, permanently. Mm -hmm. That's really deeply rooted in a Jewish context, which we see in Scripture. Um, so he says this interesting thing. So he says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And then he says this, and brother of who? Of James. Of James. Now, what's interesting to note here mm -hmm. is that the the common consensus is that this is the brother of James, who's the brother, brother of, of Jesus. Jesus. And what's really interesting here is that Judas is putting himself there in that lineup saying, essentially, I'm, a, I'm the brother of Jesus. You know who I am. He's using that as, as a, an introduction. Uh, last names were not so common in their culture like they are in our, our Western uh, culture here in Australia. But what's really fascinating is... He's, he's humble. He doesn't want to use his brotherhood of Jesus as his authority. He's just trying to say who he is so they know who he is because of who he is in the church and his leadership, right? But he doesn't want to go in there. Apparently, he doesn't want to go in and say, hey, this is uh, Jude, the brother of Jesus Christ, so you better listen to what i got to say, right? Like he doesn't use that as his trump card of authority, <laughs> which is amazing. Because what's really interesting about that is that he could have tried to say, because I'm blood-related to Jesus Christ. Then right, you must listen to me. You must listen to me. Yeah. But that is not what he says. Mm -hmm. He says, hey, look, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. And what's he doing? He's putting himself on the same level as every other follower of Jesus. 
Right? Isn't that amazing? Mm. And then he says, who am I? Well, which, which Jude are we talking about? That is a very, a fairly common name in the first century of Palestine. And he says, oh, the brother of James, who's essentially like the head of the church, like him and Peter are kind of the head of the Jerusalem church. And so he's saying, hey, th- that's who I am. Remember me. I'm writing to you. So you know who I am. I've got credibility, but I'm not pulling a trump card that's based on blood. Mm. Isn't that fascinating? Which fits really well into what we've been talking about with Paul. Because he says it's not about whether you're born a Jew or born a Gentile. He says it's about faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I love that. Okay, so so let's learn a little bit more. So how do we know for sure that Jude is a brother of Jesus and of James? And so I'm going to read just a couple of verses for you to give you some context. Mark chapter 6, verse 3 says... Dun, dun, dun. Is this not the carpenter, speaking of Jesus, the son of Mary and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, or Jude, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Now, the interesting thing there is, by the way, Jude, Judah, Judas, they're all the same name, essentially, in the Greek and the Hebrew. They come from the same name. And what's what's written in the Greek is actually more accurately transliterated Judas than Jude. Um, so common name. When you hear Judas, it's not just Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus. It's a very common name in the Hebrew uh, place. So how do we know? Now, now, here's the interesting thing, right? Because when we one thing that we know about the brothers of Jesus is that in the Gospels, they did believe or did not believe in Jesus's divinity in his messiahship they did not believe definitely did not yeah. right it says like they all grew four up with of them. him and they just they yeah they couldn't understand yeah yeah and they said hey why aren't you going down to the feast if you want everybody to know that you're the messiah why aren't you going there to make yourself public and they're deriding him right yeah what's interesting is that the first time that we have any evidence of them believing in jesus as the messiah is in acts chapter 1 verse 14 just after jesus has ascended to heaven The disciples and some other people are gathered around in the upper room, and it says this. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers, as in Jesus' brothers. So notice, at least two of Jesus' brothers, James and Judas, at least, became followers of Jesus. We don't know exactly when. It could be that it was after the resurrection, that they saw the risen Christ and that was what confirmed for them and they became believers. We don't know exactly what it is. It doesn't tell us. But what we do know is that they became followers of Jesus. Could be, it has to be at least two because it's plural. Could be all four of them. And one last verse before we get into our book is 1 Corinthians 9 verse 5 where Paul is making a reference um, and he references in this this little little statement about the role that some of Jesus' brothers eventually had in the church, that they became leaders. So it says this, Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas, which is another name for Peter? Isn't that interesting? So this is pretty much all we know about Jude, um, outside of what he tells us in his book. Um, But it's fascinating. So Jude is a brother of Jesus. He became a believer at some point, quite possibly after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he was one of the brothers who was a leader in the church, the early church. And he's writing this letter. Second point is, who's he writing it to? Does it say it's a certain group or a certain church? 
No, he, he's writing it to those who are called and sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. So it's a universal kind of letter, yeah. right? This is a letter that has application to all Christians. It's not, there's no context there to, to, for us to understand who exactly was he writing to. But it is quite plausible that he was writing to a largely Jewish Christian audience because he quotes a lot of scripture mm-hmm. in very small doses to make really elaborate, profound points. Yeah. So that's, kind of a little bit of the context, and we're going to jump right in. So let's keep reading from verse 2 to 4. And by the way, there's only one chapter, so when we say Jude 2 to 4, that's literally just verses 2 to 4. Yeah. So mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write it to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Heavy words, man. Yeah. So what's he saying here? Give us a little bit of a summary of that. Um, first, he's exhorting um, the people that he's writing to, so mercy, peace, and love. Um, and then he writes beloved. So he's talking to uh, fellow followers, um, people who um, have probably, like you said, um, Jewish people who have accepted Christ. And now he's talking to a friend, not just friend, but brother, brethren. And um, then he goes on to say, um, necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered for all delivered to the saints. So um, uh, he finds it necessary to write to them. And exhorting means um, to encourage or to um, um, to say to the, not only encourage, but to, what's the word, Robbie? Um Kind of like uh, I'm, I'm beseeching you. I'm begging you. I'm challenging, yeah, challenging you, right? you. Like challenge you guys. Like yes, we have this new faith found in Jesus, but guys, there's there's things that we need to be aware of. Like yeah, yeah, totally. Something that I really like in this little passage is where he says the word contend. Like there's so much going on here in this little passage, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes we have to deal with problems, right? First of all, before he gets to contend, let me let me let's just make another point. He okay. says. He says, beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. In other words, hey, I was going to write to you something about our common salvation. I wanted to write to you about this particular topic, but I I couldn't because I found it necessary Mm -hmm. to write to you exhorting you about something else. In other words, he's like, dude, I was going to write to you, beloved, you believers in Jesus. I was going to write to you about something that's that's for all of us. But then he said there was a problem. <laughs> and I had to deal with this problem. This problem needed to be nipped in the bud because if this gets any bigger, this problem is going to become an enormous problem. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? And I think sometimes in life and sometimes with problems, we actually have to deal with things that are pressing when we would like to deal with other things. But here's the thing. If you don't deal with the problems that are urgent and pressing, they become significantly bigger problems yeah. and significantly harder to solve. Yes. <laughs> so there's some good practical yeah. advice in there. Deal with problems early yeah. rather than letting them get out of control. And yeah. that's what he's trying to do. So I love that. And then the reason that he that he says contend is fascinating, right? I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting or encouraging, rebuking, challenging you. To contend. Now, what do you think of when you hear that word? Contend to fight earnestly, right? Contend earnestly for the faith which was given to you originally. 
You ever heard that word, contend? Like, he's a contender. He's a contender. Right? I think of Rocky Balboa. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. <laughs> the rumble right? in the jungle. Right? Like, yeah. Who's a boxer, by the way. Just This is some colloquialisms from the 80s, right? Yeah. But a contender is a fighter, yeah. right? It's somebody who is in the ring. And it's interesting that it says here, you need to contend, you need to contest, you need to compete, right? In other words, struggle upon appropriately with skill and commitment, opposing that which is not true. Mm. Isn't that interesting, right? A contender is is somebody who's vying for victory in a battle. And what he's saying is, hey, there's a battle going on. There are some people who have snuck in here unnoticed who are now living lives that are not in, in accordance with the gospel truth, and they are misleading people. And what are they doing specifically? Right, Because he says they've crept in unnoticed. Yeah. So they may have started off good, and then they went a little astray, or they may have started off with words that sounded good. But you know, sometimes people can say the right things, but be doing things behind the scenes that are not the right things. And how do you tell? How do you know? Yeah. You tell by the fruits that are born of the teacher. Right of the people, what what's what's the outcomes that are coming out of this? And I love what he says here, and I think this is a huge point. And we don't have a lot of time before our break, but I just want to say this point. He says these people were long ago marked out for condemnation. He calls them ungodly, and then this is why. This is the description. He says, "Who turn the grace of our God into lewdness?" In other words, they're turning grace. Right, the fact that God is graciously forgiving us of all sin, no matter how heinous, when repented of, forgiven. Right. But they're turning grace into license to sin, mm. right? There's a difference between liberty, freedom, and license, right? If I'm free, I've got boundaries of freedom that, that work. But license is to say, hey, I, I can do whatever I want, anytime I want. And he's saying grace is not license to sin, but that is a fruit of these false teachers who have come into the church unnoticed. And we're going to take a break here and check out a song by Danny Byram, Jesus Calls Us. Jesus calls us over the tumult of the sea.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. We're going to do another plug for our question of the week. So for our first caller in today, Tash, what are they going to receive? They're going to receive a copy of Christ's Object Lessons, and it's stories to live by that Jesus told uh, through parables and while he was here on earth. And... um, Great stories as well. He told it very succinctly. Always in a story. So very, very simple. And this book has, like, it's a compilation of all those things. So, awesome. Yeah. So you can be the copy, or, sorry, the, the, recipient the recipient of a free copy of that if yeah. you are our first caller in today. And you can do that by calling 1-800-324-843 or 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can text us on 0491-064-669. Awesome. All right. So we were just talking about how there, there's a problem going on in the church at this time. Now, most scholars suggest that the book of Jude was written between the 60s and to, to the 70s AD. So that's quite a big time frame. It could be that... 10 to 20 year period, there's a bit of debate about when this was written, but it's most likely one of the later books, quite possibly after Paul's writings, because Paul was dead, arguably between 64, 68 yeah. um, AD. So, so this is one of the later written things, and it's, you'll, you'll notice that he, he quotes some things from the apostles and, and talks about them as well. Um, but I, I love this point. I think it's such a huge point. It's worth saying again. He says, they use God's grace. Mm as an opportunity to then go and commit lewdness, meaning sin, right? They're they're taking the fact that God has extended grace and forgiveness to all. They're saying, because I'm forgiven, I can no longer sin, essentially. And so they're living in sin, thinking that because I've got grace, I can continue to do immoral things, which is clearly not the case. This is refuted by all of Paul's letters, um, especially in Romans. Um, It's just a, a, a powerfully profound thing that he's saying. He's saying, grace is not a license to sin. Grace is an incredible, unexpected, unmerited favor given to you by God that in response to that should lead us to be filled with the Spirit and to be led in a new life, step by step, with mistakes, on the journey, etc., but but not continuing to use that as a reason to go sin. So it's a huge point. And so he says this is the fruit that these teachers are having. Right? It's interesting that he's not he's not specifically dealing with any teachings that they're having that they're teaching, but he's actually talking about fruits that they're bearing in their life. They're they're whatever it is that they're teaching, they're actually living ungodly lives and that's leading people astray. And it's, it says that this is right, he says uh, they they turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Now whether that was in the teaching or whether by doing this in itself, that is denying Jesus. One of those two meanings must be clear, mm. like as in must be present. So fascinating. All right. So because of the time, we're going to keep reading, but we could probably spend six weeks on that topic. Yeah, we could. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. All right. So let's read on further. So he continues. Let's read from verse 5 through verse 7 because there's a lot in here. Okay. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Okay, so he's giving how many examples here? Dun, dun. There's so many. Right, so there's three big ones, right? There's three big ones, okay, yeah. So he's giving yeah. three examples of of rebellion, you yeah. might say. So the, what's the first one? Egypt. 
So the first one is Egypt. He said, and so this is why we think it's most likely written to a Jewish Christian audience, particularly yeah. not meaning that there weren't Gentiles who were hearing this message either. But he's drawing on some a lot of biblical knowledge. So number one, during the Exodus from Egypt, the Israelites came. They were set free. Now notice this: they were set free from slavery. Mm-hmm. And then they refused to continue believing in what God had promised, and they refused to walk into the land of Canaan when they were told to do so, because they didn't believe God would do for them what God had said. And then he says, and they were destroyed for that. Yeah. Forty years in the desert to basically wander around until those people died out and he could take the next generation in, right? Doesn't mean that there was not necessarily anybody who repented and was saved from that, but they didn't receive that promise, right? So number one, rebellion, destruction. Number two, what's the second example there? The angels. The angels, right? So, by the way, these are fallen angels. Yeah. The angels who rebelled in heaven didn't keep their proper domain, but through the sin of Adam, they were allowed to be sentenced to be here on earth awaiting the judgment, right? So, he says they're, they're awaiting the judgment, which is going to result in destruction. So, rebellion, destruction. Rebellion, Re- destruction. Yeah. What's the third example? Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, now what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? Let's give a quick overview of that. Well, you can just say it from the text. What, According to the text here, what was the problem there? Um, so they were giving themselves over to sexual immorality and going after strange flesh. All right. So this, for those unfamiliar with that story, God sends two angels down to investigate what's going on, not because God doesn't know already, but be, for the sake of Abraham, for the sake of everyone seeing and understanding that he's a fair and a righteous judge who investigates and allows people to see and understand before he executes final judgment, right? And down, and sorry for the young listeners, this is a little bit graphic, but we're going to try and keep it as PG as we can. Um, basically, the whole town of men comes to the door and demands to send these two men out because they intend to, to rape them. Um, and this horrible thing happens, right? Now, the angels blind them. None of that happens. They flee, but the town is destroyed by fire. And notice here that it says... They gave themselves over to sexual immorality, right? And they have gone after strange flesh. So, you know, highlighting that. Notice that this kind of ties in with perhaps this is the kind of thing that was going on with these false teachers in the church, right? There's rebellion. There's rebellion against God. There's not actually going through with what God has said, with what God has said. And then before it says setting aside the grace of God for lewdness. Well, lewdness can often include sexual immorality in that definition, and here he highlights an example where sexual immorality was involved in a rebellion against God that resulted in, again, destruction. So, this gives us a little indicator that perhaps what was going on with these false teachers is that they were personally engaged in sexual immorality themselves, which we see in Scripture happen in other places, and God brings judgment swiftly onto those things as well. And unfortunately, historically, we know that this, this I mean, this happens in every organization. Unfortunately, we live in a sinful, broken world. But when this happens in the church, it's even more devastating, mm. right? Because you're not only seeing sin that plays out and has detrimental impact forever on someone's life, right? Long-lasting, huge impacts and that's a tragedy. It's a real tragedy. It should not happen. But what happens here is that when that happens in the church, it goes even further because it distorts not only a person's picture of humanity, but it distorts overtly a person's picture of God. Right? It paints a very false picture of who God is. In fact, it paints a satanic picture of who God is. 
And God was not in the business of doing that, right? He's in the business of freedom and choice. And what we see here is that this kind of rebellion, this ungodliness, this saying, grace leads to license for sin, which is not true, but this is the argument that's being put forward by some, it actually leads to the destruction of the faith of generations. It's heavy stuff, man. Heavy stuff. And if you have experienced that or something like that, we our hearts go out to you, our prayers go out to you, know that God is not a God that was represented by that action, mm. right? God brings destruction, and that whether or not that destruction, that judgment comes swiftly or whether it comes ultimately at the end, God is going to bring all wrongs into the light and there will be a righting of wrongs. And that is one of the beautiful things about God being a God of justice and there being judgment at the end of time is that all wrongs will be brought to light and be righted. So we find hope and encouragement in that. And in the meantime, we need to learn how to navigate that better as a church, don't we? Yes, we we do. (laughs) Anyway, I've always talked about that subject before, but highlights again, three situations. Rebellion results in? Destruction. destruction. Rebellion, destruction, number one. Rebellion, destruction, number two. Rebellion, destruction, number three. And he gives that example and he's saying, look, the fruits that these people are bearing, the past tells us something and it tells us that this is what's going to take place. And so he's alluding that the same thing's going to happen to these false teachers. There's rebellion and it's going to lead to destruction. destruction. And he's warning them, hold on to the faith that you once knew that was the truth. The truth didn't change. Mm. The truth has not changed. Right? Culture changes. We've, we develop new thoughts. We develop and we have to navigate, but we always have to navigate the future by looking at the past. In fact, you yeah. said something earlier during the break, um, that I'd love you to enlighten us about how Hebrews thought with past and future. Tell us a little bit, Tash. So the Hebrews thought is that everything, so when everything that is before them is actually the past. So everything they can see. So if they're standing there and they, what they're looking at is their past. But what is behind them is actually their future. Okay, so to put that, make that a bit more visual, if you were standing on a straight line and you were to look one direction is the past, the opposite direction is the future, the Hebrew mindset then is to, to be looking towards the past. You, you're yes, facing anywhere towards you're the past. standing, you're always facing the past. Now why is that? Because you, ha- you can see what you have done in your life. Mm. Whereas what's your future is behind you, you cannot see that. In other words, it's unseen. Your back's to the future because you can't see that direction. God knows the future. You don't. Only God knows. Yeah. So we understand the future by looking at what God has done in the past. Yes. And so he's drawing on these past examples. He's saying, look what let the past teach you about what's coming. Yeah. Right. Judgment is coming on these events, right? These kinds of actions. And if there is true repentance, forgiveness is given. Grace is extended. You are welcomed into the family, right? Like God is able to wash away the sins, the darkest, most deep, heinous sins can be forgiven by this this wonderful, amazing God of grace. But we have to not use that grace as a license to continue in sin or we're actually denying Jesus. That's what they're saying. This is hugely profound. So he's drawing on past examples. Look at rebellion led to destruction in this way, this way, and that way. He says, so when they're doing the same things, we know that this will lead to destruction. Mm. All right, let's keep reading from verse 8 through verse 11. I just have one last thing to add. Oh, go for it. Also, um, there's a quote that says, we have nothing to fear for the future except as we've been led in the past. Except as we forget. As we forget, yeah. Except as as we we forget forget. how we've been led in the past. I've known that quote. Yeah. It's good. Absolutely. Right. We have nothing to fear for the future lest we forget how God has led us in our past history. So we have no fear for destruction and judgment because we know 
the truth because we we are still walking with how God. That's is, right. If is we hold on to if that, we hold truth. on to that truth. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. All right, let's keep reading. Verse eight through eleven. Let's do it. Okay. Likewise, all these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the angel in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses dared not bring against him a reviling accusation but said the Lord rebuke you but these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally like brute beasts in these things they corrupt themselves woe to them for they have gone in the way of Cain have run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit and and perish in the rebellion of Korah awesome Okay, there's a whole lot going on here again, right? Yes. Notice what he starts with, right? He says, hey, look, likewise, these guys also defile the flesh, right? So he spells it out. He says, what's the problem with these false teachers? Look at the fruits that it's bearing. Mm. He says, it's leading them to defile the flesh. It's leading them into sexual immorality. This is a huge problem, right? And if they're teaching these things, then it's going to lead other people into the same thing. And then he goes on and he says, hey, look, they also, not only are they defiling the flesh, they're also rejecting authority, right? Now, this is not to say that we need to have a top-down system in which there is one authority, there's, you know, like a papal kind of figure who's the head of the church and everybody else must obey. That's not the idea, necessarily. But what, but what's going on is that God is the authority, but God has also spoken through Scripture, through the prophets, and these things are authoritative in helping us to understand the truth and should inform us as to how we ought to behave, how we ought to make decisions, etc. But he says that they're rejecting that. They're also rejecting the authority of the Spirit working through the church in accordance with the Word, right? And he's saying they're also speaking against glorious ones. He's like, like, these are some of the problems that it's leading to. They're becoming lone rangers who are off shooting off their own way, defiling the flesh, changing the gospel, essentially. And as he goes through this, it's fascinating that he makes a quote here and he says, or, or, or not a quotation, but he, he references something and he talks about Moses. And he says, look, when, the, when, when Michael the archangel or the angel of the Lord, is, he's also referred to in the Old Testament, um, contended with the body of Moses. Now, it doesn't tell us this story in Scripture, but except for right here. And Jude says, look, when Michael came and, and Moses was in the grave, he contended with the devil over the body. And Moses actually got taken to heaven. Right, even though he didn't make it to the promised land, God has mercy on him for, you know because he was repentant. He didn't get to go to the promised land, but he took him to heaven early. And there's a, there's a lot of beauty in that story. Yeah, but notice when he he says that when this took place, he didn't step into the role of judge at this time. Even though eventually the angel of the Lord Jesus is going to do that, he says he said the Lord rebuke you and didn't argue, didn't deal with it. He did, like in that way didn't judge, but he moved on and said no no we're we're going to deal with this later. I'm taking him up to heaven now. It's an interesting story where you don't have time to really dive too much into it, unfortunately. But we know that Moses was there at the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 15 and saw Jesus, and he came from heaven with Elijah. So we know it's true. This is Philippa, Hannah, and Abby Eaton, now to Jesus. How deep, how wide the precious love of Jesus is for you, for me. There'll always be enough No sin, no shame No storm could ever separate us from The one who gave his life for us I may not understand The mystery, the measure of 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. You are listening to Faith FM Radio, and uh, we are going to get back into our Bible study. It's going to be awesome. Um, just before we do that, we have one last plea for you. We'd love to hear from you. We love hearing from you guys, and um, we'd love to hear from you for our Question of the Week session. First caller in is going to get a free copy of a book called Christ's Object Lessons, which I highly recommend, which goes through some exciting uh, parables of Jesus and talks about what they mean and draws some conclusions from that. 
And uh, the first person who calls in is going to get a free copy of that. You can do so by calling in with a question to 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or text us at 0491-064-669. We'd love to hear from you. All right. Um, so the last thing that we... we before we finished off this last point was it started with th- this this little section started with three examples of rebellion and then destruction and then the last verse that we just read verse 11 he says woe to these false teachers why because they've gone in the way of Cain who was guilty of rebelling against God they have also run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit again rebellion in the way of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah rebellion so Three examples of rebellion at the start, three examples of rebellion at the end, and notice that the whole time he's saying, this will lead to destruction. Don't be led astray by this stuff. Hold fast to the truth. Contend for the truth. Contend for what was delivered to you. Contend for the truth that God has been giving from the beginning all the way through. And I love that. And he says that it's it's something that we have to hold on to. And just a side note, isn't it interesting that these individuals, he says, they crept in unnoticed. Mm. And something else that we talked about in the break was there's a difference between an enemy that's known and an enemy that's unknown, mm-hmm. right? Like who's more dangerous uh, if you were in war, for example? An enemy soldier who's in full garb that you can see their colors or a spy yeah. who's working for the enemy but on in your ranks wearing one of your uniforms, right? And it's interesting to note that you really have to be mindful. There are times, it doesn't mean you have to look at everybody as an enemy. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but we also do just need to be wary. Like just because I'm a pastor, for example, does not mean, or working as a pastor at the moment, doesn't doesn't mean that I know everything, yeah. that I'm not capable of mistakes. Yeah. It doesn't mean that everything I say is God's word, right? Like you, you need to go and check it for yourself. You yeah. need to check the scripture. You need to pray for the, the spirit of God to teach you. You have as much access to the Holy Spirit as I do. We just need to pray for him and respond to his grace and, and he will give. He says, ask and your, the, your father in heaven will give you the Holy Spirit. So this is powerful stuff. We all need to have our own journey of faith in which we are checking like if I hear a sermon and I hear someone like, hey, that doesn't sound right. I'm going to go check it. And I'm not going to believe it just because somebody I respect says it either. Like we all need to go and prayerfully, carefully consider what is the truth? Yeah. What does scripture say? How do we know these things and not be led astray? And we need to pray for God's guidance, you know, because we're only going to be able to do the, do to, to rightly divide the word of truth, so to speak, to really come to the truth and find the answers if we're earnestly seeking and God is leading. Yeah. Anyway. Sorry, that was a sermon. Let's go on to verse 12. Let's read from verse 12 through verse 13. Okay. These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, framing up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So their end is destruction. Any thoughts on those? Everything here has no fruits. Um, Ooh, clouds that have no water and wind that has and trees that have no fruit. So right, that's, in the due season, right? Yeah. Like it's late autumn, yeah. you're supposed to be getting a harvest. What's going on? Why is there no fruit? Because you know that these people are not, not who they say they are. They're, they're yeah, they're mm. not about truth. They're they're about themselves, self serving mm. needs and yeah. Mm. Now, here, here's a, just a side point that I think is worth mentioning. Sometimes people, 
earnestly desiring to be compassionate towards others, which we are called to do is if you're a father of Jesus, you're called to exhibit the compassion of Jesus. But sometimes we get afraid to tell the truth because we think it might offend somebody or, and don't get me wrong. Like not every conversation is a time to like hit somebody with a hard hitting truth, right? Like that's not, I'm not saying that by the way, I hope that nobody picks that up from what I'm saying. It's like everything I need to say needs to be contentious, right? That's not the point, but there are times where the loving thing, right? Like scripture says, speak the truth in love. Mm. Now love is not, the word there isn't like love, like a feeling love, like romance, love, like, Affection. No, no, no. The word, if I remember correctly, is agape, which means love is an action for the benefit of others for their yeah. long-term good. Now, sometimes speaking the truth in love, and probably most times, is going to look gentle and kind. But it's also at times going to look like a, a, you got to know something. Like, I love you. I care about you. And yeah. I can see that this is driving you into yeah. a bad place. So, for example... If I've got a friend and they're starting to explore with, you know, experiment with drugs and alcohol, well, I know from my own family experience, I know from lots of people that I work with in the community, I know from lots of friends, et cetera, that this can be incredibly detrimental. Mm. And if I see them going on this path, they, they're starting off thinking, I've got this thing in control. This is just me having fun. But what they often don't realize is that the thing they think they have under control is eventually going to control them and, and to steer their entire life. Now, if I really love them and I know that's where it's going, I should do something about it and try. Like, I can't force them. This is not about coercion, but I should try to help them for their best long-term good in some way. Now, that might be kind and gentle. It might be an intervention. It might look like, hey, man, wake up call, bro. Like, do you see what you're doing with your life? Look at these consequences that are happening in your world. Like, you get the idea. If somebody's... <laughs> if somebody's standing in the road and there's no cars coming, you might you might try and convince them, hey, just gently come off the road, take my hand, let's let's walk nice. You're gonna have a casual, slow, reasonable conversation. But if there's a truck six meters from them, you're just gonna say, Get out of the way Right? Like you're gonna just you're gonna be you're gonna work with the situation for, to try and get the outcome. And I think that's the point. You know, we should try we should share the truth in love. Yeah. For the purpose of their good, not for the purpose of our own edification, not for the purpose of us looking good, not so that we can feel better than anyone else, because that's rubbish. We're not better than anybody else. But when we speak the truth in love, we're not afraid to tell the truth, even if it's not necessarily what people want to hear, because it's actually for their best long-term good. Mm. And we need to be willing to receive that just as much. And yes. sometimes our lack of willingness to receive those kind of you know words from others that we love and respect, that love and respect us stops us from being able to have credibility when we try and do it for someone else. Mm. Anyway, sorry, let's keep reading. No, 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 that's... that's Verse 14 to 15. Okay. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them, of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of the all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Whew. So there's there's an allusion here to a pair there's part of this is quoting from Deuteronomy thirty three verse two, where it talks about God coming with his angels. Um but it's talking about judgment again, isn't it? it like is. so far the book of Jude has been a pretty heavy book. Like there's it's talking about destruction, it's talking about judgment, it's talking about consequences to unrepented things it's like it's a it's a bit of a challenging thing but sometimes 
because you love somebody and you want their long-term good, you have to identify and warn them of things that are, mm. that are problematic, that are going to hurt them. Yeah. You know, you warn somebody about a knife being sharp and you instruct them to cut away from their hand instead of towards their hand when they're chopping vegetables, right? So that they don't wind up yeah. with a negative consequence. But something I love here, this is super cool. Think about this. What is the purpose of conviction? Why should you be convicted or to feel that something is either right or wrong? What is the purpose of conviction? What is God's desire for us when we feel convicted about sin? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> You're deep in thought. No, no, no. I'm not deep in thought. I, I, I am. Um, so that we can make the right or wrong decision on our own. But when we have conviction, it's about making, yeah, making the decision from a, from a change in heart as well. Totally. It's about yeah. repentance, right? Yes. God wants us to be convicted of sin, not so that we feel bad. God doesn't want us to feel bad for no reason. That's yeah. dumb. Yeah. No, God wants us to experience conviction. The, the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin and righteousness and judgment, Jesus says. Mm. Why? So that when you're convicted of sin and righteousness and judgment, you will realize the path I'm walking is leading me down to somewhere I don't want to go. Like, it's not helping me. And Jesus is extending to me forgiveness for my sins, grace to walk new. And he's going to walk with me in a new life. And yeah, it's going to have ups and downs and mm. it's going to be challenging at times, but it's going to be better than anything else. And the outcome is good all along the journey and for eternity, right? So what's the, the purpose of conviction? Repentance, to turn, to come to Jesus and experience mm. salvation and freedom and victory. Like, it's, it's just so beautiful. All right, let's keep reading because we're running out of time here. And uh, let's see if we can get through the little book of Jude in our time. So let's read 16 through 19. Okay. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. Isn't that a bold claim? Mm. He says they don't have the spirit. Yeah. Now that's a, I mean, that's a topic that comes up in churches from time to time. Who has the Holy Spirit? Who doesn't? And I'm not here to argue about how, who does and who doesn't. But one thing that I will say is Paul talks about in Galatians, the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, joy. peace, yeah. patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, mm -hmm. right? Now, if the Holy Spirit's present in someone's life, whether they exhibit all of these amazing spiritual gifts or whether they don't, one of the questions that I'm asking is, well, where, where the, or that we all should be asking ourselves is where's the fruit? Do we see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives? And notice again before, you were just saying this before, I've never seen this connection. They are trees without fruit. Yeah. And then he says they don't have the Spirit. They're coming in and causing divisions. They don't have the Spirit. They're not bearing the fruits of the Spirit. They're actually bearing worldly fruits. <clears throat> Sin, lust, selfishness, right? Misleading people. Isn't that interesting? I think it's, it's very interesting. I think it's very interesting. So you read that and, just, yeah. oh man, there's just so much to be said. By the way, it's about to turn to the good news part. There was a lot of heavy bad news and now we're about to get to the good news. So hang in there. Um, he calls them grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, mouths swelling great words, flattering people to gain advantage. You ever been like, you ever been like walking down the shopping center and somebody's coming to sell you something? All of a sudden they're just like, they just flatter you. Oh, you, that dress looks so good on you. That, you know, that, the color of that thing is like, it just matches your eyes. Oh, your skin is so nice. Like, 
I'm assuming yes. maybe these are the kinds of things that they say to ladies. It's not what they say to me often, <laughs> no, especially the part about dress. But you know nice. what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. They're flattering yeah. because they're trying to sell a product. And he mm-hmm. says that there are people who are doing the same thing, yeah. teaching falsehood, but they're speaking flattering words to you, right? They're trying to talk you up so that you have your ego is built up so you feel good about them. And that way, you will buy in and support what they're saying and what they're doing, even though it's not true and it's not based in reality or in scripture and it's not bearing good fruit. Mm. Because nobody wants to bear bad fruit, right? Nobody wants to put effort into a tree to bear nothing. And this is true of all people who are searching for, for God, who are seeking, right? Nobody wants to bear bad fruit, but you can be misled into bearing bad fruit, right? Anyway, um, yeah. I just want, oh, how much time do we have? Let's just go. Just I'll keep going. I'll be super going. quick. Okay, so... Um, we got plenty of time. It's in First Samuel. I can't find the reference at the moment, but um, Hananiah, mm-hmm. the prophet Hananiah, when he was telling... Uh, Jeremiah was telling everybody, like, this is what's going to happen. Destruction is coming. But Hananiah, a false prophet, said, nah, we're good. Everything's going to be fine. Like, I'm just thinking of flattery and, and mouthful of words. But in actual fact, he was, yeah, he was just telling, telling lies and just telling things that people wanted to hear Oof. but it wasn't the truth yeah and here's, a, here's a point that somebody said to me once that I think is incredibly important and it really sticks in really ties in with what you're saying sometimes we feel like we all we need to say is, is good news right everything's a positive feel good message the problem is the good news of Jesus Christ is only as good as the bad news is bad yeah right if the bad news is bad, then the good news is really good. Mm-hmm. If the bad news is nothing, like, oh, it's all good. You can just do whatever you want, and there's no real difference. There's no reckoning. Like, God's not going to actually make a judgment. There's not going to be a destruction of the wicked. There's not going to be. Like, if you say all that stuff, well, then what's the good news? It's, it's irrelevant. It's not even good. It's just another option that sounds less exciting, right? Like, yeah. But if the bad news is actually bad, that we all are under sin, and that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that if we continue to live in those ways and hold that, and to not put our trust in Jesus, to not surrender, to not experience the gift of salvation that comes freely from God, but we continue to just practice the works of unrighteousness, there is going to be destruction. Then you all of a sudden you see, oh, wow, wow, sin is slavery, and it destroys my life. And um, not only that, it, it's going to lead to negative outcomes forever, like like in, in terms of permanent death, right? Yeah. Um, that's not good. Yeah. And when you see that, all of a sudden you go, wow. Yeah. What Jesus is offering is incredible because I don't deserve that and uh, I, I can't get that on my own. I can't do the right things by myself. And God's offering his spirit to work in me, to do those things for me and through me. And all I've got to do now is, is trust and make decisions and lean on him and will to do the right thing, which he gives me the ability to do. And by his grace, I can choose to do right things. And that's, again, by his will and by his power of his spirit. Right? Like Now it's, the good news is looking really good because when you really see yourself for who you are, and you really see the things that you've done for what they are, and you realize you can't, you can't fix it. You need a savior. Then all of a sudden, Jesus is incredibly good news. And sometimes I think we unfortunately, as a knee jerk reaction to people only ever preaching doom and gloom, fall on the, the opposite trap of never telling people the truth about things that are not as easy to hear. But when we understand the truth as it is in Jesus, both sides of that coin make sense, mm. and we see the grace of God for what it is, as a beautiful gift that gives us life that is undeserved, unmerited, that we are favored of God, and that by His Holy Spirit we can be empowered to not walk in the way that we used to walk, the ways of sin. And we can learn to become more like Jesus day by day, and that we can experience freedom from things that we thought we were slaves to forever. 
And by the grace of God, that's a journey, that's a process. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect today, tomorrow, whatever. Jesus is going to come and he's going to take care of these things. The purpose and the point is walk with Jesus. Walk with him daily. Let his grace not only and like forgive you and cover your sin, but empower you to walk in a newness of life. Paul talks about this all the time. Walk worthy of the calling that you were called to. How do you do that, Paul? By being filled with the Spirit and by surrendering to Jesus moment by moment, day by day, and walking with Him and letting Him do the work. That's what it is, man. Like we, we need to tell people both sides of the story so that they can understand how good the good news of Jesus truly, truly is. This is David Crowder and Shane and Shane to the only God. Presenters, download the free Faith FM app for Apple and Android and stream hundreds of podcasts whenever you like. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Did you know that 80% of Faith FM's operating budget comes from supporters like you? It takes 700 people just like you giving just a dollar a day to keep us running. Visit faithfm.com.au slash donate and partner with Faith FM today. And for just a dollar a day, together, we can reach Australia with life-changing messages of hope.
Whenever God shines light on me, open up my eyes so I can see. When I look up in the darkest night, then I know everything's gonna be alright. In deep confusion, in great despair, when I reach out for Him. He is there when I am lonely as I can be. Then I know that God shines His light on me. La 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 Sick and he heals the lame. Says you can do it too in Jesus' name. Yes, he'll lift you up and turn you around, and he'll put your feet back on higher ground. Reach out for him, he'll be there when you trouble. Oh, you can use His higher power any day, at any hour. Heals the sick, yeah, He heals the lame. Says you can do it too in Jesus' name. Yes, He'll lift you up and turn you around. Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. You're listening to Faith FM. And uh, hey, what what time is it? this time of the day i love this time of the show it's exciting to be able to get questions we'd love to hear from you guys and uh today our winner of the christ object lessons free copy is darren and uh tasha's going to read out to us uh darren's question can you read that for us i can do that all right so the question he sent in is why did god hold people like solomon and david in so much high esteem 
when they both clearly disobeyed her many times with severe indiscretions and very bad behaviour. It appears on the surface that they were almost deliberately unrepentant for most of their life. That's a great question, Darren. So what, what is it about David and Solomon that made them favorite of God? Did, did they actually re- repent? Were they unrepentant their whole lives? What's, what's the deal? So let's deal with this in, in two parts. Let's look at Solomon, let's look at David, and then we'll look at just uh, another brief example for the principle that's, I think, underneath this. So first of all, we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4, which gives us an example of where Solomon went astray. For it was so, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. All right, so he followed David's example in in some ways, that David had, um, he married more than one woman, which was not a wise thing to do, Um, and Solomon followed suit, but he exorbitantly even did farther, significantly further beyond that. And then he eventually started to build temples for these women. Solomon was very highly regarded at the beginning of his his life. He was very faithful to God. And you'll notice that when God uh, came to him in the story, I forget exactly where this is, sorry. It should be in early First Kings, I think. Um, it talks about, I think it's First Kings chapter 6, 7 or so. Um, talks about how Solomon humbles himself before God and is seeking for God's wisdom as he's put into the position of king. This is prior to him having the multiple wives, prior to any of these things. And he is actually recognized by God as being humble and God gives him wisdom in response to that and hears his prayers. He answers his prayer about the temple and says, who, you know, Solomon prays, whoever, you know, prays towards the temple and seeks God, he says, yeah, I will hear those prayers when the people repent, right? And what's interesting is that Solomon started off really good and then he went really bad. And by the end of his life, he, uh, he had built temples to, to false gods for his wives of foreign um, nations for them to worship their gods. And he, became led into idolatry and you read through ecclesiastes which he wrote and it's just so destitute right like you read through this and it's just this incredibly somber look at the mistakes of his life basically and in fact the only evidence that we have in the bible that he um repented is basically the last two verses or so of ecclesiastes do you want to read that for us tash so this is ecclesiastes 12 13 and 14 let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so it's interesting. So traditionally we, we believe, you know, most Christians I would say would traditionally believe that Solomon is saved, not because he was favored by God all of his life while he was doing heinous things, but because he repented in the end. Um, David, a uh, similar story in a, in a sense. So David like had many sins that that took place, perhaps not the the same kinds of sins necessarily that Solomon did, except for perhaps the polygamy issues and the things that came from that. Um, but one story that sticks out very clearly in my mind is Second Samuel chapter eleven, the story of Bathsheba, um, which we won't get into the, too many of the details now, just for sake of time. But with Bathsheba, David is probably guilty of power rape, right? Like of basically getting this woman in here who's at risk of her life, who's, you know, consenting to these things, not because she wants to, but because she's afraid she's going to be put to death if she doesn't, etc. And there's a lot of indicators in there in the Hebrew that actually point towards this. Um, and also the fact that she's mentioned in the, the birth list of Jesus also indicates that this is probably the case. Anyway, the point is, he engages in sexual sin, and 
there are consequences. And when the prophet Nathan comes to him, he says, Hey, explains the story. David's rent to the heart and he, you know, he's upset about what in this unrighteous thing in the story and realizes it's me. The amazing thing is that God still gave consequences. David repents. And when you read Psalm 51, you can see the, the level of repentance. And it's interesting, right? God is, God calls David a man after his own heart. And I always ask the people the question, why? Why do you think that? You know, you can read all of the amazing stories about how he, he fights for God and he stands up for God against Goliath and he stands up for God when Saul fails and he's, he's faithful to God in the midst of all of these difficulties. But there are times where he has some big glaring faults in his, his character, character flaws. But Psalm 51, I think, highlights his response. He writes this as a response to the whole incident that we were just talking about with Bathsheba. And he says in that Psalm, Psalm 51, a few things that I think are worth mentioning. He says, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. In other words, he's saying, look, I understand. I, my guilt is there. I know I'm guilty and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for that. I acknowledge I was wrong. And then he says, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. He's like, I'm, I'm deserving of judgment fully. But he says in this thing, he says, cleanse me. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And then he goes on later on and he says in verse 16 and 17, I love this. Oh, in verse 14 even, he says, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, knowing that he had murdered somebody and orchestrated that. And then in 16, he says, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it, right? If, if sacrifice, if I could just come and bring an animal and that make it all sweet and we're all square again, God, I'd do that. But I know that that's not what it's about. He says, you don't delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. And so he's confessing here in brokenness of heart, knowing I deserve death. And I'm the leader of the country, and my sin is actually going to lead to bigger consequences because I'm the leader, and I'm looked at as a leader, and that's going to have bigger consequences um, and if, impact the way that other people think and behave and see. And we see that happen, and he has huge consequences with how his children live and he makes has failings that way with how he leads them but i think the key is what what sets david apart is not that he didn't that he made mistakes because we all made mistakes mm. and god's favor wasn't on him because of his mistakes in fact he would have lost god's favor had he not repented but he is called a man after god's own heart because when he was confronted with his own evils the way that he responded to that was that he he turned away from sin and turned to God. And I think that's the key that hopefully helps answer that question, Darren. And I think of a couple of, a couple of other examples. One, you think of the thief on the cross because you might say, well, you know, what about the whole of his life? You know, Solomon repented at the end. But amazingly, and praise God for this, you don't want to live this way. You don't want to just anticipate that you just change your mind at the end because you might die tomorrow and you are what you are. Um, your decision is what you've made today. But the thief on the cross is somebody else who repented just at the end of their life and God was gracious enough to save them when that repentance was true. So hopefully that helps you. And uh, this is Sons of Korah, Psalm 51. Mercy on me, O oh God. According
According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from all my sin. Transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you. Surely I was sinful at birth. Surely I was sinful at birth. Surely you desire truth, truth in the inward parts, and you teach me wisdom. Wisdom in the innermost place. If this up make me clean, wash me whiter than snow. Oh, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O、oh、God, and renew a steadfast. Spirit within me.
turn back to you Save me from the guilt upon me, Lord, who saves me And my tongue will sing of your righteousness Oh Lord, the God who saves me to Real Faith with Robbie and Tash. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. Just wanted to say thank you again to Darren for your question. We hope that that was helpful. And uh, we're going to finish off our little Bible study on the book of Jude. We've got six verses to go and we've got seven minutes to do it in. So let's have a crack. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, we're back in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. All right, let's pause there for a sec, because I think there's a lot in there that's worth mentioning. What, what jumps out at you in that passage? What sticks out there? Well, now he's he's encouraging them, and he's he's like, keep the faith. Yeah. Yeah. So he's gone from this start of like, hey, man, I just got to let you know, mm. you need to contend for the faith that you originally heard, that the apostles preached to you, that's been given to us by God, that's in the life of Jesus Christ, et cetera, right? Like, all that's implied when he says that. And then he says here, all this boom, 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 boom. Beware, beware, beware. This is what's going on. This is where it's going to lead, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then he gets to this line, and I love it, verse 20. 
but you, right? So he says, this is what they're doing, but you you don't be like them, Yeah, right? You build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Look for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. I love that, right? He's like, keep holding fast. Don't walk in the false ways. Hold fast the faith that was delivered to you, right? I love this. And then he gives some really practical advice. And I want to I just highlight a couple of things. On some have compassion, right? So be, be compassionate and gentle and soft for some, right? Because that's going to be what's going to help them at the time. And then he says about some other things. He says, making a distinction, right? Have compassion, making a distinction. And then he says this, but others save with fear. Why? Right? He says, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. It doesn't say hating them, right? He says, hating even the garment that's defiled by the flesh. In other words, what he's saying is, hate even the things that lead you into sin, mm-hmm. right? Like, he's making this point to say, hey, look, have compassion on some. Making a distinction, right? Like understanding that you can have compassion on this person and not uphold sin, right? You can uphold righteousness and still have compassion. Then he says with others, there's what's going on is so serious that you need to save them with fear lest you be dragged into the same sin that they're in, right? He's not saying don't save them. He's not saying don't have compassion. He's saying, he's saying you need to be careful. There are some people who are, who are, you know, doing things and saying things that could very easily lead you astray if you fall in with them. And he says, he's not saying disregard all people, don't love them, don't try and save them. He says, no, no, save them, but save them with fear, lest you also too be lost, mm. right? Like, don't fall for their traps. Yeah. Try and save them by God's grace alone, but just don't fall into the trap that they're that they're bringing. Don't don't pick up on the little bits that they're trying to sell you that aren't true. I think that's significantly powerful. All right, let's read the last two verses. I love how this ends, and this ties in with that David Crowder, Shane and Shane song we heard before the news a little while ago. It was beautiful, and it comes from this passage. It's verse 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. 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 I love it, which means let it be or so be it in the Greek, yeah. right? Well, I mean, that's a very you know, religious-y term, like churchy word. But it means so be it. I'm in agreement, right? Let it be. I love this. I love this, right? You've heard, you've heard the whole message and it's like, this is heavy, Jude. Mm. Oh, yeah. This is serious, man. Like, this has been a heavy topic and you've talked about rebellion and destruction. Like, this is heavy. This is not an easy, comfortable message. And then you give us something else at the end and you're like, hey, but you, you don't fall in for this stuff. You do these things and try and save people who are lost, but, but don't get lost while you're doing it. Like, mm. hold on to the truth of Jesus Christ. And then he says this. You're like, you're, you're kind of like wiping the sweat from your brow going, man, this is a sober, somber kind of book and then he says this verse and i love this verse verse 24 now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling i love that what's he saying have confidence have hope and faith and trust in jesus christ who is the one who will help you who is able to keep you from stumbling you've got all of these scary things going on in the world around you you got wolves outside you got wolves inside with sheep's clothing so to speak you got all this stuff going on and you're trying to figure out what's true in the midst of craziness and you're living in you know 
first century he's writing to, but we're living in 2021 and it's crazy and there's a lot of confusion. And he says, hold on to the truth. And you might be thinking to yourself, man, how am I going to do that? And then he says this, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, Mm. be the glory. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on to his word. Let him be the one who informs you. Let his spirit be the one that leads you. May you search the word, not just so because you think that in the words you have eternal life, but because those words lead you to Jesus Christ and in him you have life. And I love that because, man, sometimes we need that encouragement. I love that. And this is probably also insightful when you're trying to show the truth to somebody in love and it's a hard word. You know, sometimes you need the encouragement at the, at the end, like, man, you just need to remember you hold on to Jesus. He can keep you from stumbling. Right, He can keep you on the path. You've fallen off the path, He can get you back on. I love that. Isn't that a, a powerful promise? It is powerful. powerful. Anything else in this last few, last little bit before we go? No, all right. No. <laughs> so we're running out of time. We're running out of time. But that's, oh, I have nothing much to add. But I just like that we just hold on to Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. That's it. I love it. It's perfect. It's simple. So good. Yeah. So, practical application. Hold on to Jesus. Allow him to teach you and lead you. Teach the truth in love. And, yeah. Um, yeah, try to save others from themselves and allow you to be saved from yourself when they're able to bring up things for you. These are some practical applications. Thanks for joining us. It's been a blessing. And uh, we'll catch you in a couple weeks. Listen in next week for a recorded version. And uh, may God bless you and keep you. And remember that real faith is, is live, live faith. faith.